This is Ethios with Bemneti Meskan from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. When that first finished shoe came off the line, it looked so good. And it blew my mind that he saw this, you know, I mean, I've seen the drawings. Okay, that, those drawings look nice. My guest today is Azaria Mangistu. He is the co-founder of NZ Footwear, a luxury leather footwear brand based in Ethiopia. Azaria, welcome to Ethios. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. The honor is all mine, my friend. <laughs> it's good. It's good to. It's good to talk to you. Hey, man. So let's get into it. I want to know, as our audience, so I kind of know who you are. We 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 go back a few years, but uh, who is Azaria Mangistu? It's uh, uh <laughs> I guess it's 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 a, it's a good question. I think it's a bit a bit different from from I uh, I think a, a lot of Ethiopian um, diaspora. I was actually born in the US, uh, just outside of Chicago. Um, didn't spend much time there. I think when I was about three weeks old, uh, we were on a plane back to, to Nairobi, Kenya, which is where, to where my parents had actually just moved to a few months earlier. So, um, so my entire childhood uh, was, was, in, was in Kenya, uh, was in Nairobi, uh, or in a, in a, in a Eventually, I started attending a boarding school, which is just a little bit outside the capital. What's the um, name of the boarding school? It is called Rift Valley Academy. Rift Valley uh, Academy. Yes, pretty yes. well known uh, as a as a, a pretty well known boarding school in the, in the area, um, and uh, and that shaped me a lot. Um, all my closest friends today are are guys that. I went through puberty with, <laughs> so uh, it, it, was, it was one. It was a kind of environment that where, where you create a lot of lifelong bonds, and mm-hmm. um, and it's also where I met uh, my co the co-founder for for NZ Footwear, uh, my business partner now. Um, it's an all boys school, right? No, no, no. It's a mixed. It's oh, a really? mixed school. Yeah, mm-hmm. very small mixed school on the crest of the Rift Valley. Beautiful view. It's like a, a very scenic. Very strict, uh, uh, but I think that environment. I don't know. Forced at least the the guys are in kind of my age group to really, really bond closer together. It's kind of like being in military school or something. You know, something something to that effect. So, what is that experience like? Because I, you know, I, I've never I didn't go to a boarding school, but you're so you're away from your parents most of the year. And yeah. Did you have your siblings with you? Did you did they go to the same school? Yeah, yeah, it was a large part of the reason that I that I went as early as I did. Um, uh, when when my older brothers were 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 growing up with me in Kenya, that there there weren't adequate high schools in the city that went all the way to twelfth grade. So my brother, my oldest brother, had to go to 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 this boarding school to to finish high school. And I think his senior year, they wanted my 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 other brother to join him for his last year of school. And then I think I did one year, one or two years of school there at home by myself. I was spending about eight hours a day uh, playing in the backyard with my dog, <laughs> <laughs> and and my parents just felt sorry for me. They want and so and and so my mom prayed and said, if there's space 
in this in, in the school and god i know that it's because it's very difficult to get in so she said if there is any room that means you want it to go and so she thought there was no chance it'd be room and they called and said there, there is room if you'd like to to, to to have him join and so she asked me and i said yeah i want to go be my brother i just thought it was so cool to be have that degree of independence Little did I know when I got there. <laughs> very little independence. So what was that like? Is it is it like kind of how they show in the movies where they check your bedroom and you know your bed has to be made every morning and you have oh, yeah. chores like you have to clean the hallways and oh, stuff yeah, like that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what's yeah, a typical yeah, yeah. day like when you're growing up in that school? So I mean, it, you you get a little bit more independence as you wait as you as you as you go through the grades. But I mean, elementary school, I remember the you have you have a you have a dorm and where where so i mean i was there i moved, i went when i was 10 10 10 going on 11 and uh and so you have we had these biggest rooms like six to eight people in a room on bunk beds uh and the you every dorm had something called dorm parents i mean this, this went all the way up until your i've heard your, about this your, so and in each room was there like a somebody who was like higher than the rest of them like was there like a a person oh, in charge of that room type of thing. Or well, no? I mean, maybe not, maybe not so much in charge of the room, but there definitely was like a a, a class, like a grade system. So, like, even yeah. if it was just a one year difference, I mean, there had to be a degree degree of respect given to the to the older classmen, and we really abused that the years I, I, I was there. Um, and uh, and every morning, yeah, I remember they 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 come and wake you up and get you out of bed. The dorm parents would, and then how early you know, in before, the morning? probably like 630, oh, 6.45, something like that. And then you have to get dressed, take your showers, and then clean. At your, there's like a, a rotating wheel as to, as to your chores in the dorm. We were fortunate. We didn't have uniforms, I remember. Um, uh, a, lot of, a lot of boarding schools in Kenya did, but we didn't have uniforms. And then they'd yell, man, you'll, man your battle stations. Man, that your meant, battle stations? It's like a military. That you had, <laughs> yeah, and that meant you had to go stand by whatever your Troy, your Troy assignment was. That's so if, you're, if you were cleaning the toilets, you had to stand by the toilet you cleaned. If you were doing the sinks, you had to stand by the sinks. <laughs> that if sounds miserable. So, <laughs> so every morning, man, your battle we're all go stand by whatever it's supposed to be. And then they'd inspect while you're standing there. And let you know if you're free to go to breakfast or not. Uh, and so, so that so you, was, that so you was go like, have breakfast right after that. Yeah, you run down to breakfast and 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 then run back up to class, and then uh, and then it was fun. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, when you're, I mean, there was a lot of wholesome fun as well. I mean, we played a lot of sports, a lot of those I don't know, those typical kid games. You know, just a real organized versions of you know capture the flag or mm. kick the can or. Um, those kinds of activities. Um, um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, I remember, I remember having a lot. Of, it's just, it, it's, it's just a very strict, very, very re- religious environment. Uh, and so, um, so, so some of that stuff, at some points, could be, could be, could be. A child. I mean, even though I am a person of faith and I'm a Christian, it's just a bit, a bit extreme for, 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 for from what I was raised in. So. Um, yeah, but 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 all in all, I don't think I could have stayed another year. But I appreciate it. Maybe not, more than the school. I think God blessed me with just really amazing group of people around me that I, that I that I grew up with through that process, uh, and they're still my closest friends to this day. And just feel real. It's like no, whenever we get together, even spend years, it feels like no time's passed. I think the way one of my friends once put it was because. 
it's a bit it's a bit unique because we're all from different parts of the world you know a lot of most of my closest friends are, are Africans, but we're growing up in this weird it's an american missionary boarding school and so we don't feel very comfortable in that environment uh and so it, it, you, you kind of have to be able to feel comfortable in a whole different in a lot of different kind of spaces and you're interacting with a lot of different cultures there's a bunch of korean kids there we have some indian classmates there are americans and europeans and and us african guys and um and i remember it, every everywhere always feels a little bit awkward but the only place we ever really felt really comfortable or really at home was never really a location it was just when we were together mm. you know and that kind of became like our comfort zone for a long time and it was very difficult adjusting socially in the u.s because it's just a complete different vibe for me and uh but whenever we could just get back together it just it didn't matter if it was in the u.s or in europe it just felt like home you know yeah. being around that conversation again and being around those guys again yeah so so really influential part would you, would you send uh, your kids to up. a boarding school? I, uh, you know, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure. There, there's because there's parts of it I really appreciated. Maybe not as early as I went, um, but I think there, there's some great, great lessons to be learned. Just some great experiences to have. They, they, it, it was it was it was a good school. There's a lot of trips they would take you on uh, around the country to go experience things with classes, and, and you get you get a lot more than just the basic education but i i had a positive ex view on it largely because i think of the people around me again the the, the friends that that the, that i went through that experience with so is that a, is that a yes or a no <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it, would, it depends on what my wife would say she may not <laughs> good wise man wise man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right yeah, so so do you have any fun memories any funny memories anything that sticks out from from your days in kenya like boarding school or or whatnot. Whew. Oh man, so it's a lot, a lot, and and we get when we get together, we'll we'll laugh, we'll laugh a lot about it. Mike, I don't know. There's a we would we, I think once a month we would have a church service, not with like we'd have church every 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 Sunday, like with the school campus, but once a month or once a semester or something, we'd have to join the local Kenyan church. In, for for their service, and it was just the most dreaded thing because it was just oh, a very dry. Oh, it's hard to explain. But I mean, for teenagers or for young kids, I mean, it it put us all to sleep. You know, to, to be sitting there and, uh, and 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 trying to sit through this church service. So Why, people would do longer. What extremely long, very early. Um, you know, singing from a, a hymnal uh uh very i mean just it couldn't have been it's like those typical stereotypical kind of boring movie movie churches you know oh, scenes so of, it wasn't you know, cool churches. enough for you <laughs> no, it was it would just put all of us to sleep it was just painful so everybody would do everything in their power to figure out how to try and skip this church service okay. on a, 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 this 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 one in particular so people would be hiding under their blankets hiding in the toilets <laughs> hiding in the uh, and, and I remember one of my friends, this is, I mean, this, this is going to age me here, but this is not long after, well, actually maybe a few years after, but those Game Boy headphones were still pretty new. Remember that was like the first yeah. headphone that was kind of like the ones that went in your ear. Uh, so I guess earphones, I should say. And, um, and, and so he figured out a way to slide it up. He'd always wear like a long sleeve sweatshirt 
and figured out a way to slide up this the, this headphone up up the sleeve of his shirt, and he always get the seat by the wall and just have his ear have 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 his earphone in his ear and just be pressed up against the line. He'd have Tupac blaring in his left ear. In the church. We have this. Well, they, we have these African church trying oh, to sing English goodness. hymns. Uh, it was, it was uh, yeah. Anyway, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stories that might incriminate me as well. <laughs> All right, but, let's skip that. <laughs> yeah. So you end up coming to the U.S. Uh, so you did you finish high school before you came to the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so graduated uh, in in '99. Um, and then and then went straight to to Oklahoma. I had this theory uh, that everywhere in the U.S. was the same. It didn't really matter if I was in New York or if I was in Texas or if I was in California. America was in America. There was a Walmart here and there's McDonald's around the corner. And, uh, and that's what that was my understanding of things. So when I first moved, I went to, to Oklahoma because uh, actually my brother was actually studying at the same university and I was playing soccer there. So, so I figured, yeah, Oklahoma, what's, what's the big deal? Uh, and after, after a year of Oklahoma, I was really, I was really worn out. And I did, I think, a semester and a half there, and then I just couldn't take it anymore. And I moved to where my brothers were, which is in the Washington D.C. area. Wait, so how did you end up in Oklahoma? Like, like why Oklahoma? Why did your brother end up in Oklahoma? Yeah, it's a great question. I I I, I still haven't forgiven him for convincing me <laughs> to go there. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but he was he was there. He was almost finishing with. He had like uh, uh, one year left, so that was the main thing. I figured it'd be a good way for me to enter into the U.S. would be to be there with him uh, uh, and have him, you know, uh, show me the ropes, if you will. You end up moving to the states. What was your initial? feedback what how did you feel about the states what did you observe what was it like what was your experience yeah it was it was very different very very different from what i was used to and i had visited the u.s a handful of times but when you were there for such a long period of time and trying to uh and, and trying to make friends and and fit in um it was it was a challenge and it wasn't just for me it was a challenge for 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 all my friends uh all my uh uh, all my African friends, um, being, especially at our period, in the period of time we were there, being African, was almost, there are many times people are African, it was almost social suicide. I had friends who were in different colleges who, who had people literally stop talking to them once they found out they were African. Um, people who tried to avoid it, people, and it was, it was, and so, and whenever we would get together or talk or catch up, everybody had that, the same really? issue. Yeah. And were you yeah, getting this yeah. from like white Americans or are you getting this from, you know, African Americans or who's this? Listen, I, I got the most, yeah, African Americans, I think a lot. Um, I, I got from, yeah, I got a lot, of, I got more ignorant questions from my African American friends or quote unquote friends. Um, to some, of the, some of the people I, I connected with easiest were, just non-Americans. I remember there's like a mm. uh, a Danish guy with this tall, blonde, blue-eyed, hunky-looking Danish guy that all the girls around the school were crazy about. <laughs> but me and him got along so well. Something about I don't know. Something just people who grew up outside of that U.S. Interesting yeah. environment. We we, we seemed to, there were guys from Indonesia that were really friendly. Um, uh, and I did make some friends. I remember at my, my my after my brother left, I was there for one more semester. And my my roommate was a guy from Wisconsin who 
uh, who, who I was like the, the first black person you'd ever had a conversation with. Wow. <laughs> uh, but we're but we got along really. To be fair, we got along really well, um, and, and 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 we're good friends. But it was just a. I don't know, just like the social hierarchy of things and how it works yeah. in the states and and, and these weird peer did, pressures. Did you find you it have. the same way when you ended up coming to the DC area? This year was a bit different, just because your social circle. I mean, you're just hanging out with with Ethiopians oh, that's true. Uh, most of the time. So it's um, no different than being in Addis, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, well, yeah. nowadays not so much. I feel like Silver Spring is becoming the new Addis, but. Yeah, it's 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 easy to just stay in the Ethiopian circle in DC. Silver Spring is like the they call the Asarasement Cabellino. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so 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 it was a bit different. I mean, I found I just there's just like a, a, a group of people, especially and my 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 brothers were there, so they they had a, some you know a network of people. Obviously, I was they were attached to church, so there's there's. There's a social group that you could easily easily uh, get get comfortable with, um, yeah. So 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 that was that was different, um, and then and then eventually and then eventually a bit later on, one of my uh, friends from from my my boarding school friends came and we were actually moving. We were, we roomed together in D.C. for a year. Nice. Um, we met uh, the South African guy through a mutual friend uh, and another Kenyan guy. Uh, and you can so, name names, by the way. Feel, feel I don't. I don't, I don't want. I don't want people to look them up on Facebook, and then be, <laughs> I gotta tell stories. You know, I don't want. I want no one pointing fingers back at me. No, but but uh, but they called us the African Union because like a bunch of guys from different parts of Africa. We and we really got along well. But towards, to, yeah, the, uh, towards the end of my time in DC, I, was, I kind of I wasn't too involved in the, in the Ethiopian scene, if you will. So what but, were you uh, doing in DC for the most part? Uh, well, initially, well, this idea of student debt really freaked me out. You know, after I saw how much the first year, that first year and a half of school cost at the, at the university right at, in Oklahoma, and um, and really, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study, what I wanted to do, and didn't. And this idea of being under this mound of debt when I graduated, and not even being 100% sold, I was in the right degree, freaked me out. So. I, uh, so I so I dropped out and started taking just electives uh, at, at a community college in in the northern Virginia area, um, and started working uh, for as was an event production company. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Which yeah. you know is there? Are they still around? Uh, I have to look them up. I'm pretty sure they what, should be. It was, a, it was called PSAV. So it was, it was mostly most the the bread and butter for the business was actually equipment equipment rental for for events so projection lighting sound systems stuff like that uh, and we tried to venture out into into other spaces um and and I, I just started moving up that company pretty pretty quickly i mean you know started they had a lot of accounts with different with, with, with a lot of hotels actually all over the us but a lot in the in the dc area um, and so eventually started managing my own hotel accounts for, 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 for them and, and then started specializing more in sales. Um, and, and when I started advancing through the company, I sort of started taking less and less classes at the community college, but I took a lot of photography classes, some creative writing and marketing classes. Uh, I took African-American history, which blew my mind, I mm -hmm. believe. Because I'd taken uh, American history in university, I'd taken American history in college, 
in, uh, at high school in high school as well. And then when I took African American, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it was the same country. You know, like yeah, it's it's, it's it always amazes me. Is there any are there any stories that really jump out at you that still kind of influence you? Um, I th I think the whole what what it, it made me realize how valuable. I mean, not a particular story, but it just shaped my my perception on things and helped me see things clear. I think a lot of the reason for for discourse in the U.S. is this lack of an honest telling of their own history. Uh, you know, I think you look at I can my man, We're doing this interview. I'm I'm in Germany as we speak. You know, uh, and my <laughs> wife is Ethiopian 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 German. She was born and raised in Germany, but she's very Ethiopian. Uh, uh, and she is Ethiopian, uh, but she says you, they start learning about the Holocaust, you know, and World War II in tenth grade, uh, and when they're ten years old, in fourth grade, mm -hmm. fifth grade, yeah. and everybody, whether you're in a public school or a private school, it's the law that at some point throughout your education you have to go to a concentration camp and see what you've done. You know, they have a very honest telling of their history, and I wow. think this, you know, I think this leads to them just being a little bit more. You know, a little bit more considerate about foreign policy, or just just in general. And I think in the U.S., there's not that clear understanding or that clear, basic, honest telling of their own history. It is so, amazing to me. It is amazing to me that how this country was almost—you can almost say it's like built on the backs of slaves. Yeah, and yeah. That, that story isn't um, a majority of of what you learn about the history of America. You know. It's it's very sad. It's unfortunate. It's it's true, and it's and uh, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean that that's one aspect. There's so many parts. I mean, you can draw when you see the way the social dynamics of things and how things are, are set up in the U.S. It's not an accident. You can draw oh, parallels to all these policies and all these decisions that happen throughout history that have things the way they are now. But there's not this clear. You know, they just don't talk about trends. I, I spent a, a few years in London. I lived in London for a couple of years, and they're a lot more aware of like you know any of my english friends will tell you yeah we've done a lot of messed up stuff all around the world you know <laughs> they, you know yes, they have. And, and, and so they're a little bit more you know yeah, yeah. It, it, it just that honest telling of your history puts you in a, a better understanding of and, and allows you to communicate you know yeah, across across these across these cultures and across these uh, these the your you know the different ethnicities you know in your community so so that's what it, it kind of opened my eyes to um, and how then yeah your, how was your overall experience in DC? Um, I mean, overall it was, it was great. I, I was I was, I, was I, I I really enjoyed it. I think I don't think I'm I like it because it's very cosmopolitan, but it's not overwhelming. Mm. You know, you, you can get you can get to grasp with the city very quickly. I made really good friends in DC. Um, uh, the, I mean, the only thing and the reason I had to leave, and I, I think it's more of a U.S. thing than maybe just specifically a, a D.C. thing, is just that I feel when when you're in the U.S., you're just in this bubble of, of existence where the only thing that matters is, excuse me, excuse me the only thing that matters is like uh, work, the Super Bowl, March Madness. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you're you're very cut off from the rest of the world, you know, and you're in this bubble of development and and comfort and and the years just fly by i just realized my you know the years are going by i'm making decent money uh nothing crazy um but what it, it, it that lifestyle for the rest of my life didn't appeal to me at all you know and 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 
and I wanted to experience something different. And 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 my boss sat me down and what do you think? And I, and I knew that they that our company had an operation in Europe, and I said I'd I'd like to go, you know, try and live and work in a different place. And 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 and, and I wanted to head over head over there. Uh, and so maybe a few months later, they found a position for me in in London, and I and I and I went for it. Yeah. Wow. How long were yeah. you in London for? I was in London for almost two years. So, and what neighborhood did you live in? I lived in East London in a small town, part of London called uh, Limehouse, which is around Mile End. When I was there, it was kind of the rough part of London, but after the Olympics, I hear it's all been gentrified and it looks course, really nice yeah. now. So, so how uh, is it that you can be a Liverpool fan and leave, live in East London? I mean, just, <laughs> that must what, have been what, tough. You didn't wear your jersey what, yet, I was, I'm was, i sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, it's funny you say that because East London is, is West Ham territory. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the West Ham, they're, they're some of the more aggressive fans in, 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 in London. I mean, you could go to an Arsenal game and be safe or a Tottenham game, and you'll be all right. That's Chelsea nonsense, game. man. They're all aggressive. Like, West Ham. I have a lot of friends from they're from the UK, but they're just aggressive fans, period. Like, you know, <laughs> no, all of them. No, 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 no. West Ham was scary. And I remember I went to a bar once to watch the West Ham Liverpool game uh, to a pub. You know, they're showing it. And I, and I genuinely, I didn't take my jacket off. With my Liverpool, I was like, I'm gonna keep this jacket on. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not gonna say anything when we're scoring. I'm just, just kind quiet. Of keeping quiet, just like a little small fist pumps under the table. <laughs> but uh, it is, it was, it was intimidating. But 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 London was a good experience. I mean, we're talking about that bubble or that experience you have. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that two years in London felt. I felt like I did more than like my five, six years in DC. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, like one, I mean, I just, you just show up and, you know, off the bat, I had, I had five weeks of paid vacation. Nice. And I was like, my goodness, what do you do with five? I, I mean, coming from the States where I think you had to work three years to get two, you know, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with all this time. Um, but I just, I just did a lot more and, and you don't drive, you know, you, every, no one, you, you walk and take public transportation. So you're interacting with people more. Um, you, I, I went to a lot more concerts. I saw some, I went to Sweden, Italy, Germany, France, a couple of times, uh, uh, Portugal, I, all these things and, and, and just saw so much and experienced so much in such a short, short space of time. So I really appreciated that. But, but, uh, but, as a city or as a place to live, I, I really didn't. I was I wasn't a big fan of London. I thought I, I I thought I'd like it. Maybe the first after the first three or four years, it kind of wears off the romance of of of, of, of being in this metropolitan hub. It's a bit of a, it's a bit, I mean it's a, it's a weird culture they have there that that didn't mesh with me. Everything was just about the weekend and getting hammered on the yeah, weekends, yeah. And, and 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 it was just uh, it wasn't a healthy. It's not, they don't have a healthy lifestyle there. The weather, you know, everyone tells you about the weather's going to be bad. You're like, yeah, you're trying to think you can prepare for it. But after a while, it really does start to mess with your psyche. And the oh, fact sure. that you haven't seen the sun in two, three weeks, you know, so. Uh, there's so I was there's a leave. random fact that I came across, which London has the most amount of public cameras per capita than any other city. Oh, yeah. The whole, the whole, the, the whole city is on, on closed circuit television, yeah. That's crazy. So, so you end up going to London for a couple of years. So what, what was, what came after that? So it was after that I had, after two years of London, I had that same kind of aha moment and my brother and I had been in discussion for a couple of, 
for over a year about starting a, a company in Ethiopia. Um, this is the same brother that you lived with when you were in, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and right when I was, it was the time, we couldn't have been better. Right when I was like in my peak of like being done with London, and also just being with this like with this company for my what seventh year, and just saying, my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, I'm just going to keep growing up this company and getting my annual two, three, four percent raise every year. You know, dinner wasn't really appealing to me. You know, I want, I know I wanted to do something bigger and different. I um. Yeah, he called and said, I think it's time. I think we're ready to start this company in, in Ethiopia. He said, how do, how do you feel? I said, yes, I'm ready to, 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 to get out of here. What's so, that, what company was this? This is our, we, we have a uh, custom custom publishing marketing communications firm in, in, uh, in Ethiopia. So we launched, yeah, we launched that some time ago. And so it was to start that up. And we started a, a lifestyle magazine called Addis Life. Uh, and after a few years of doing Addis Life, we eventually won the contract to, to start publishing Salamta on behalf of uh, Ethiopian Airlines. Salamta yeah. being the in-flight Ethiopian Airlines magazine. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. www.salamtamagazine.com. Plug. Nice. <laughs> and so was that decision pretty easy when you moved to Ethiopia? Very, very. Well, so and it, I, I got a question for you. Why don't more people, more you know, of the diaspora community, uh, move back to Ethiopia? You know, uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good question. I, I, you know, I don't, I think it's maybe life is too comfortable for some people, or I think some people just have different motives. I, I, I spoke, I was speaking to some, I, was, I remember sitting down specifically with one guy talking about, why don't you move back? Why don't you think about it? And he was saying how <laughs> as soon as, as soon as it makes financial sense for me, you know, or as soon as it's more financially prudent for me to be in Ethiopia, that's when I'm moving. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's not. Uh, and I think the people that moved, you know, maybe like seven, six, seven years ago, like when we did, I think it was a, there was some people there who really wanted to be a part of the nation building. I mean, of course, there are people who also saw it as a as a uh, as a way to potentially make money. Some people even make more money, but. There's some hardship you have to endure, and there's some and, and there's some some effort really have to to put in, and I think that's that was part of it as well for us. We really wanted to we really wanted to be a part of building this country more on a, on an image and on a marketing level, trying to you know trying 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 to help out on that on 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 that side of things because Lord knows we we need that that help. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of glazed over it, but I wanted to talk about. The magazine that you guys started, Addis Life, yeah. which you know was one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Ethiopian publications. Thank you. It Thank had, you. Um, it, it was such a different and a and high quality magazine, um, and I don't I don't know why. I'm sure it t took a lot of work to keep it going. But tell me about hey first tell us about what Addis Life was, why you guys created it. And you know why it's not on the shelves anymore? Sure. Yeah, I think. Um, well, it, it it was it was birthed out of this the same frustration that I felt when when it was frustrating or difficult or challenging to be African <clears throat> in social environments in the in the in the U.S. Um, and I think for for my brother who was the editor. 
it was it was the idea. I think years before he was in the in the in the in the Sheraton in 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 that days, most people know the hotel, and there were all these foreigners walking around the lobby and checking in, checking out, and he and he was seeing all these people walking by, and he's like, he's, he's and and saw a glossy magazine on on a table, and rushed. And he said, "Oh, let me go see what this is." And it was some international publication. And he realized all these people are passing in, probably going straight to the Sheraton, doing their business, getting straight back on a plane, leaving. No one has any appreciation or any understanding of how amazing the country that they are in is. Or, or there's no one um, that the, the, there's no, nothing to to showcase Ethiopia to these people. So we wanted to create. A, a platform and a publication to really change people's perception of Ethiopia, educate people on 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 what Ethiopia uh, is and what Ethiopia has to offer. Um, and we realized as we started, as much as it was about convincing foreigners um, or, or people visiting Ethiopia, we had to start rebranding Ethiopia itself to Ethiopians. Uh, the first, I mean, the first comments we were getting when we were running around looking for advertising or looking for support or, or, or things like that, people would say, you're trying to do a 100-plus page full-color glossy magazine on Ethiopia? What are you going to write about? These are Ethiopians telling us this. You know, there's nothing to write about. And we said, no, there's something there. You know, we'll, we'll do. And so, and then we published the first copy. Uh, and I remember we'd take it around to all the people who did advertise and to people who were trying to convince to advertise. And everyone just said, one, on the first issue, you talked about everything you could possibly talk about in Ethiopia. You just did it in one issue. There's nothing else to write up. There's nothing left to write about. There's nothing left to talk about. And this is what Ethiopians are telling us. We realized we had to change the way Ethiopians even even saw Ethiopia uh, and 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 what Ethiopia looked. And it was and 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 that was that was very rewarding. I'm seeing there's people all over the city who couldn't even read English, but they have a copy of our magazine because it's the first mm -hmm. time that we you know because we'd hire you know, through our network, we get amazing photographers. We, we were printing it out, outside of Ethiopia, so it would be an international standard. So it was the first time people were seeing Ethiopia photographed by these amazing people and then printed on a, on a high-quality, by a high-quality printer and then accessible on the shelves in, their, in, their, uh, in the grocery store. So I think, I think it was big in that sense, and it was, it was exciting and, and rewarding to see the impact that it had. It wasn't the, it wasn't the best business model <laughs> because it was, it was such a large investment to, to, to print the magazine and to put it together, you know, especially between me and my brother. I mean, we did a, a huge chunk of it just on our own. He, he handled most of the content, the layout, and I was taking the photography and doing the sales. So it was... Uh, it was a, uh, it was it was it was it was a it was a hefty, hefty burden for us to to, to bear. And then all of our revenue was just coming in in Bur. And all was, was the revenue mostly advertising revenue, or were you guys getting? Yeah, were people yeah. buying the magazine as well? No, 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 it was for sale, and it was it was by far. I mean, it was. I remember uh, trying to convince one bookstore to take uh, to take sixty copies of the magazine because they came in boxes of sixty and. And they didn't want to take more than 15, 15 or twenty, because they said that's the most we ever take of any magazine ever. We never sold, we never sold more than, than twenty of a certain magazine in in in, uh, in a three month period. And so I finally convinced him to take the sixty boxes, and he thought the sixty he thought twenty would last him the entire three months because it was it was a quarterly magazine. And he called me back four or five days later, 
and he had already sold out of the 60 magazines. So it was, it was, no one had ever seen a, a magazine sell like this and not this before. It was, it, 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 we were selling a lot, but most of our money was coming from advertising. Hmm. Um, and Because uh, the retailers have to make a certain percentage on that too, so you don't sell it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we're—I mean, to be honest, we're making a loss on every sale. If it was if you're looking at just at the cost of printing it abroad and then shipping it into the country, and okay. and and the cost of distribution, but our money is coming from revenue. But even that was beside the point because all the revenue is coming in in in, in local currency, and our ex large expenditure, which was printing, was in in foreign currency. And you know, everyone knows how difficult it is to get your hands on foreign currency. You feel yep. What I liked the most about the magazine was that. You guys broke it up into, I think, five categories. Four. Had, was it four? It was culture, yeah. arts, travel, and something else. I forget. Yeah, we call it, it was uh, people, people, which is like, uh, was which was you know, interviews and 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 and, and profiles uh, and stuff. Like profiles that. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, we had people profiles. Uh, places and portfolio. So places, like you said, we, we feature restaurants or new hotels or destinations. Uh, profiles is profiling different people in short nuggets, maybe not the full length features. No. Uh, and then portfolio at the end was uh, was more like thought provoking essays or, yeah. or, or, or or subjects like that. So so it was it was it was like four magazines squished into one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and it really did well, and it was, it was great because it got us the, the opportunity to pitch for Salanta. Yeah. yeah, you know what? You know what I would have loved, and I I, I, I wish somebody's doing this, right? You know, when people write about restaurant reviews in Ethiopia or Addis, mm -hmm. don't tell me about Yilma or don't tell me about you know Johannes's place. I want to know about like Shamsu's like. Hidden like Kutfobe <laughs> yeah. out in the middle of nowhere where nobody goes to and it's only locals or whatever, that, but they make the best Kutfo and that's all they like. I wish there was that type of reporting where you can even as a uh, you know as a native man I've never I've mean, I haven't even heard of that place I want to go there, you know. This, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the only place you can get away with that is probably Ethiopian, probably Ethiopian food. I remember we we, we were trying to do a piece on the best one of the best we're going to do a piece like i think that the top 10 chinese places in addis mm -hmm. and then we realized we can't even and we went out like secretly <laughs> yeah and went you to, gotta like, find so somebody many house. Restaurants. Like... <laughs> i got sick so many times and so like we're gonna make the top five uh, all right <laughs> we're in the top and then we ended up with two we're like all right we'll talk about these two places it wasn't even top then, two at that point and then the even, two places then, that you can get. yeah yeah really we're trying to go and then even then one of the places totally backfired i think we're still getting hate mail to this day oh, for one of the for, for one of the restaurants we put in there so that's hilarious. um so so yeah so so usually we, we just tried to if there was something new or someone who really invested a lot to try and you know, to try and to try and do something special, uh, we we try and feature those people. We were looking at the best ways to do dessert, but you're right. Those, those, the, that that kind of reporting, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. And then you know, obviously, it's small. If someone does something well, people are going to know about it pretty quickly. The word, word the word gets out. Mm, I don't I don't buy that, man. Because there's a there's a fish place right by my like our house in, in Addis, uh -huh. and not a lot of people know about it. But they make like one of the best like grilled fish really um, yeah and, and it's it's mostly a local spot you know so um and there's a lot of those there's a lot of those all throughout the city i mean it's a huge city it's huge it is 
It is, so, it is. But the only you, ones that get featured it, it, are the, the, you know, the ones near Bole or the ones near Old Airport or places where the affluent people like, like to go. But, you know, honestly, as a tourist, I want to go to a hole in the wall just as much as I would want to go to like one of those like, uh, you know, traditional like uh, where the dancing is and all that kind of stuff. So the, you, you, I mean, it's two things. One, you're, 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 you're going to get sick a whole bunch of times trying to find that. Oh, one that's such that, that's such a bad. I mean, stereotype. So no, that is it's, untrue, man. No, it's not. It's, it's not. And it's not even a, it's not even it's not even about a cleansiness thing. It's just bacteria that 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 wow, people this is bad PR man. <laughs> it's true. This is horrible PR. No, but it's, it's just not what you're used. To. It's just not what you're used to. If you you, you go around and, and and try and eat in every hole in the wall, you got to vet these places, man. Oh, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying is vet the places that are good. I mean, yes, there are places that I, I wouldn't go to or I wouldn't recommend anybody to go to, but there are like good places to go to that aren't like, you know, they only sit like eight people or whatever, you know, or it's, it's, it's in no, a no, small little, you know corner sure. here or there or but whatever, places you know? but places like yum are also no i mean because there's not a lot of people who go to the effort of raising their own cattle you know yeah, hence true. the reason that hence the reason that they have a reputation yeah that's true. Um, i mean that's that's i mean like the people who really like usually usually i mean like i, I don't uh, they're yeah I, I, I get what you're i, I, I get what you're saying yeah. i'm sure but it would only be in jeddah i would think or it'd only be like it'd be it have to be local stuff it wouldn't yeah, be yeah, like I know what you mean I mean, you're not going to go find a hidden joint that's doing amazing burgers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know, dude. You never know. <laughs> be like, whoa. Bro, five so, guys, the Addis. I have, uh, I have a bit of a, uh, an Addis life uh, highlight. So you, I had the pleasure of doing layouts for, I think, two, maybe three publications. And yep. after doing one of them, I, you know, on one of my trips to Ethiopia, you, I had the pleasure of you taking me to the office of uh, Haile. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's one of my all-time highlight experiences in Addis, man. Uh, and we showed Haile that Which he doesn't know that I have an autographed um, um, shirt that he ran in. I think it was a Berlin Marathon. No and way. When I was working at Adidas at that time, one of my friends from running actually surprised me with it. So uh, I, I didn't tell him about it. But that was honestly, that was I, I thank you for that. And, you know, I'll always remember that. Did you enjoy working with him on, on yeah. the article? Yeah, yeah, he was uh, I'm, to this day. He's really cool to us because I, he said that's one of his favorite, favorite pieces that anyone's ever done on him. Um, and we really tried to. I mean, I think a lot of people at that time, there wasn't too much of the behind highly at home, you know, mm -hmm. the, the highly at home kind of story. No one really knew him or knew how many kids he had or also. So all that's the, the public really enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. You know, um, we we're, in, we we're intentionally very positive in all our reporting. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so, so he really appreciated that. And I think, you know, we brought a, a great photographer over to his house, took his portrait. He, he was, he was, he was great. I still have a cell phone number is uh, it's that small of a town at least you get you get to you get to 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 meet all, everyone everyone's like a one or two degree separation you know yeah i'm sure yeah always so so you know and i know there's i'm leaving out a lot right so after at least life you go on to do salamta and somewhere along those lines is when you started your current project which is uh nz footwear yeah, yeah, before, yeah, just before Salamta came on board, um, 
I, when I, my, my, my best friend from, from boarding school, uh, who was, I was living with him. We, we shared an apartment in London. Um, we, we, it was when we got to London, it was a few years before we moved to London, before I moved to London, actually, when all our friends came back to Kenya, we kind of had like a mini reunion between all our buddies. And that's when we started to share all our stories about how weird this trying to fit in socially uh, was in, in the West for us. And it was so awkward. It didn't feel right trying to have to, you know, having to hide your origins and you know, something we're so proud of or something we're so used to being, uh, being a part of us. But if you wanted to fit in or if you wanted to, you know, be, be accepted as something you had to kind of, and, and just dealing with that ignorance, you know, and the dumb questions. So we thought about, that's in the first ideas about creating a brand to, to, to challenge those perceptions and to change those stereotypes. That's the first time that those discussions started happening. And then five years, six years later, when I moved to London, uh, and me and him, me and my best friend were living in the apartment, every couple of days we'd start developing this idea more and more and more in the name and, and what, um, what things would, what, what, what it would look like. And, and that's when we came up with this idea of this has to be a luxury product. It has to be a luxury brand. It has to be an African brand. It has to be if something's going to challenge these stereotypes. It has to be a luxurious brand. And and we we're so sold on that idea of doing like something African and luxury, but we still weren't sold on making it anywhere in the continent because we didn't think there was anywhere that would be, you know, up to you know would be able to produce something at that high of a level. And I remember uh, his girlfriend, who's now his wife came was hearing our discussion and she said you know if you're going to really challenge what people think you have to make it there you can't just be african inspired it has to be african made and when she and she had convinced us of that and i remember in my heart after she, you know agreeing with her giving up a bit and just saying she's this is just never going to happen you know where are we ever going to find anyone to make luxury products in africa it's just not going to happen and, and, and so we kind of put it to bed for a while because we're like, we have to wait for all these stars to align before we can pursue this dream. It's going to be ages. And then we, uh, and then, and then when I moved to Ethiopia, he had actually, he, he, my, my best friend had been st studied at London College of Fashion, uh, footwear design, had been designing for a whole different, all these different brands, uh, big and small. Uh, and, through going to different trade shows, had heard about Ethiopian leather from from you know from people here and there. So he asked me to look into it. So we had sent out a few emails, and he came to visit. And then we saw went to to visit a a tannery, and we were just blown away. Especially him. I mean, I I was, I was learning with him. I didn't know when I moved to Ethiopia. I knew nothing about Ethiopian leather. That we had amazing leather. That big industry or anything. And so. It was with him we were, we were discovering together. He couldn't believe the price point for for this amazing leather, and, that, and that's what really opened our eyes. We we're like, wow, we have this amazing raw material. Uh, you know, maybe we can do something with it. So we spent the next year and a half trying to find a a, a factory or a partner that we could potentially make the shoes with, and and vetted a whole bunch of different factories, and 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 spent a lot of time. Uh, visiting facilities and, and seeing their equipment and finally found thought we found the perfect partner had this amazing leather 
uh, and, and got started. And, 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 and me and Jawad went to a couple of other friends of ours and asked them to, if they wanted to join us and they were, they were up for it. So, uh, so that's how Indy started. Yeah. So between, um, you know, knowing that you guys wanted to do it and when you guys actually started doing it and then having the first prototype or the first sample in your hands, like how long was that process? <laughs> I mean, those, that, those original discussions of like, yo, let's create a, a African brand. Yeah, it was just like, there's going to be like Ethiopia, Aruguay, <laughs> Bichake, Kenya, you know, whatever. Yeah, Black Fist, you know, Lions, <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff. And so and we're like, and, and this is so long ago. It was like maybe like 15 years ago or something. And then we're like, yeah, you know how cheap it is to make stuff in China? No way. Yeah. So we're all we're all excited about making all these shirts in China and then just selling them everywhere. Um, and then uh, so so that yeah happened some 15 years ago. By the time we hit the ground and then the first prototype, uh, probably two and a half years. But by the time the first prototype, and I remember that moment when the first finished shoe came off the line, is when I realized that my friend was was a genius or that he really knew what he was doing design wise. I mean, cause I mean, he's my friend, my best friend, love him to death. I'm always going to say he's amazing. I mean, I had that bias, but when that first finished shoe came off the line, it looked so good and it blew my mind that he saw this, you know, wait, I mean, I've seen the drawings. Okay. That those drawings look nice. The first prototypes. I mean, we're just using whatever bits of scrap leather, the electric, the, 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 the factory had, you know, so it wasn't the right colors or the right textures, but, but we were just putting things together just to get the, the structure and the patterns right for the shoe. And so he was getting so excited at the, these early stages. And I thought these things, these things just look hideous, you know, but he's my friend, I'm, 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 <laughs> you know, so I was like, yeah, this is great. So you were seeing just the cut up the, the yeah, the, I just, the I'm just seeing what like I'm the, seeing. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so when all the final leathers finally got there mm -hmm. and the first shoes are coming off the line, I remember it's being like, Wow, you were really good at this. These look really, and these look really nice. I mean, they were the, the factory owner himself was so proud. He he was taking the shoe around to other factories to say, "Look what we're making at our place," <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, just to please show tell off. me you have those early samples. Please tell me you kept them. Joad does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. My partner does. So that's a that's um, a big. I mean, that's you want to keep those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 really ugly. <laughs> really, was, uh, so so yeah so it so so yeah so th those those moments were special but that it took a long time to get there uh, but what took even longer was to get where we are right now um and because uh, we spent a good four years working with different factories in ethiopia trying to make it work with with three or four different factories in ethiopia and it, it never really worked out. You know, I think our most successful production run with an Ethiopian factory was uh, at about a 50% rejection rate. Oh, wow. We did the last factory we worked with, we did two runs with them and had a hundred percent rejection rate. You Are know, you did, yeah, yeah. We had asked them to make us a, uh, we gave them the patterns, we gave them whatever they, they, they said they'll handle the, or anyway, they're, they're supposed to make 250 shoes. But and I mean, so tell me the business. I mean, I know, you know, in working in the footwear industry for some time sure. and, you know, I know quite a bit about the, the world of, of kind of apparel and footwear. Not as I'm not an expert by any means, but yeah. I'm assuming that you get a sample and you sign off on the sample and they replicate that sample. 
Exactly. Yeah. Now the yeah this this pretty much how it works. The the challenge is the especially in Ethiopia you have a, a sample room, you know. So they have you know like a, a a development guy in the sample room. Their head seamstress is in the sample room. So they create that sample for you, and then it goes down to the assembly line. And when it goes down to the assembly line, there's eighty people touching one shoe, you know. Uh, and it ranges from someone with a lot of experience to someone with a little experience. Um, and when you're making a mass market product that's selling for $30 in India or $40 in the States, uh, it's, it's, it's all right. Especially, and also because sometimes when you have a factory of that size, it'll take them 100 pairs, 200 pairs to get the shoe right. You know, That's why Marshalls has a shoe section you know, in the States because – there, there, there's a bunch of shoes there that aren't quite up to par, and they still they'll they'll sell it for for much cheaper than the ones that you see at Foot Locker, at Nike, or Adidas. So, or or that's why they, all these stores have outlets. So, yes. so these these factories will, will literally go when you're when you. I mean, for example, the the last factory we're in, we had we were placing orders of 250 shoes. You know, the people they're right alongside us on the assembly line was this Italian. You know, low-end Italian construction boot factory brand or something. You know, but they had an order of 125,000 pairs of the same black construction boot. You know, so if they mess up 200, 300 shoes on an order of 150,000, it's not that big of a deal. You're talking about you know a couple percent here that they'll figure out what to do with or sell locally or something. But if they spend you know, 200 shoes trying to figure out our shoe where, you know, we're already in the, I mean, we're done. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Uh, so, so, so all, all the factories are, are, are geared towards that in, in Ethiopia to the, to the mat, the mass, the mass market products. And, uh, and so we were essentially, I mean, we, we're, yeah, we're, we're at, we're at our, our wits end. We're pulling our hair out. That last fact, like I said, they, they, the factory owner did one run. We couldn't accept a single shoe. He said, I'm going to get personally involved. Give me one more chance. I promise we'll make this happen. And so I, I listened to him and, uh, and the same thing happened. You know, another... Meanwhile, you have to you have a deadline to fulfill those orders for well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. retailers, been... I'm assuming, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this was a, more than retailers or, or, or people like we have real partners people who are really passionate about our brand from different parts of the world who have been more than flexible with us you know and so they're they've just been very patient they've just been whenever you guys are ready we're just behind this whole project so um so those are the kind of people we've been dealing with and it's very rare you come across those kind of people in this business we're very very fortunate and we're, we're very aware of that so um so yeah so trying not to take too much advantage of that but we're excited excited to, to finally get the products out to them so you guys have been in business for four years now. Four, four, four and a half years. This, this, wow. So the last and the, and the last six months. I mean, yeah, we've been in business. Not that we've been selling too much because these factories have been messing us around. But what changed everything for Enzi, and what really kind of completed our brand story and, and our uh, and, and what Enzi's all about was the uh, we, we finally set up our own workshop. Uh, so we kind of created like a bigger version of the sample rooms that are in these factories, you know, that, that, that get the shoes right. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, we intentionally pay really well cause we wanted to get the best guys we could, 
you know, we didn't want to go scouring around and finding people with a little bit of experience. The kind of people who work on our in our in our workshop are, are all guys who are supervisors or managers of other productions uh, in in the city. Um, and and the ever since we started taking over the production part ourselves, uh, it's it's just been night and day. I mean, our shoes are much more comfortable. They look so much better. Uh, you know, I can pretty confidently say we're making some of the best shoes in Ethiopia. And we love it because it's all handmade, hand cut, hand lasted. It's a very craft oriented product uh, that really speaks to our brand message of changing the way people see Ethiopia, you know, or Africa. Would you recommend anybody to go into the footwear business? <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> I, the funny you know, thing is I've asked this question to doctors. I've asked this question to people in marketing and asked people in sales almost unanimously. And it's like there's rare ones out there, but people are really pursuing their passions and and they say, stay away, like restaurant <laughs> industry, stay away, you know, nope. medical industry, stay away. Like, you know, well, I, I, I think it sounds a lot more sexy than it really is, you know, I mean, like. Uh, and I think that's why I'd, I'd want to sit down with someone before I say, yeah, go for it. I think anyone who wants to get involved in anything export related in Ethiopia, if you, I mean, if you want to export berbere or you want to make T-shirts or shoes or bags or um, uh, I mean, anything, as long as you're exporting, it's a great time to be there, you know, because I mean, there's so many incentives to take advantage of. Um, a lot of people complain about doing business. In Ethiopia, um, but I don't think. I mean, if you just do the simple thing of just sitting back and saying, "Okay, what are the government's initiatives? What are they incentivizing? What are they not incentivizing?" If you want to be like the first person to open up a Nike store in Ethiopia, it's a bad idea. You're going to get taxed like crazy. You know, you're never you're going to be selling your shoes in Bur, and you're never going to get the foreign currency to buy the next batch of shoes to bring in. You know, so anything import related. It's not a not something they're incentivizing, but if you export anything, um, there's there's a lot to take advantage of, and there's a lot of support for you. So I wouldn't necessarily say no, but it's just not as I think we're one. I think generally because really Joad is really talented. He's a very good designer uh, and has and has very good connections. I think we're in a unique position to really take advantage of what we're trying to do, uh, and two, having the know-how of what shoe production really entails you know and and because you can design the most beautiful looking thing in the world doesn't mean you can make it Absolutely. you know so so being able to execute what you're designing is is a whole another hmm. you know a whole, a whole nother minefield i mean there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges there but uh if you if you have that know-how if you have that talented designer you have the access to the markets go for it totally go for it there's a there's a, there's a strong business case for it Nice. What's what does NZ stand for? NZ is a is a Swahili word from our from my Kenya days, uh, and we came up with that 10, 11, 11 years ago um, when we were developing the brand and the idea behind the NZ. It essentially it has a lot of meanings, but uh, it is most commonly used for, in Kenya to this kind of I guess the Abesha word would be zemin or like an era or a period of Generation. time. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. And so I, we feel we're, there's this whole talk of Africa rising, you know, or Ethiopia rising or whatever, this 
African Renaissance. And we're just trying, we feel our brand kind of showcases the potential of Africa's current Enzi. You know, when you, when you really invest in people, uh, if you try and source your stuff responsibly, you, know, you believe in the people, you can make an amazing product, you know, and trying to place that product in high-end boutiques around the world uh, where it stands alone, where it's not, we're not, you know, it's not a pity product. This is a luxury product, you know, it's a high-end yeah. expensive product. Uh, and the made in Ethiopia part and all our socially responsible elements of our brand are, are secondary to the quality and the, and the aesthetic appeal of the product. What's the price point on your shoes, the average price point? Uh, it falls around the $200, 200 to $200 to $220. It depends. It depends. We've had retailers, I think in Hong Kong, who were like selling selling it for $275, which oh. we thought was a bit much. What's um, Yazamud Ganesh? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Off the I don't want to allow people. I'm expecting an autograph no. one in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's 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 a lot. Uh, if you buy in Ethiopia, it's a lot. It's a lot cheaper. It's around one hundred and thirty dollars. We have a little, a little outlet uh, in Addis Ababa, um, uh, one hundred and thirty, one hundred twenty, somewhere in there. So it's a bit cheaper uh, in Addis. Um, the quality like is amazing. I got to tell you honestly, like, um, I've tried on your shoes before. They're comfortable, yeah. very comfortable. They look they look phenomenal. So. You know, definitely, um, definitely premium. You're de delivering on the premium. So, you know, kudos to you guys for, for doing that. What's Thanks. next for you guys? What's what's in the works? Yeah, so we're we're, we're trying to develop a couple of new styles. Uh, we don't have too many out right now because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're funding this out of our out of our, out of our humble pockets. <laughs> so we can't be as ambitious or as um, or, or go as big as our hearts would like. Um, so that that's coming in the next couple of weeks. We have we're going to be on CNN International. So I don't know if I you're... saw that. So I saw a Facebook post on the interview. So that was yeah. the, I'm, I'm assuming the behind the scenes. But the, has it aired yet or no? No, it hasn't aired yet. I've been begging them to delay it yeah. <laughs> so that we have more time to, to, to get <laughs> you to guys get ready our, to get the phone calls and the, the emails and everything. We can get we can get the we can collect emails and phone calls. I just can't deliver that many products at the moment. <laughs> so so that's, that's that's the challenge. But um but yes, CNN that was that was that was a that was a, 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 a an answer to prayer. Really, they came out of the blue and they have a show. I don't think people in the states will know it. It's it's called an African Startup, where they take like two, three, four minutes to highlight different African entrepreneurs. Um, and so, and so we were selected as one of them. So that, that'll be going on the CNN international in a couple weeks. Um, even bigger than that, I don't even know if, uh, we haven't put this on, on Facebook yet. Actually, I probably shouldn't even say anything, but, but, uh, Vogue, uh, Vogue Italy reached out to us to put us in their September issue, which is like the biggest, one of the biggest fashion magazines in the world, wow. which means a lot to us because it's really speaking, you know, CNN, is, I mean, don't get me wrong. CNN is huge, but for Vogue to 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 select you for 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 one of their publications really means that on a fashion, it gives you credibility on a fashion and you know, an aesthetic level. You know, there's there, our story is appealing. You know, we're high school buddies. We grew up together, and we're out there trying. You know, we're paying our staff well, and we're sourcing our stuff responsibly, and we're supporting all these small local businesses with how we do our business. You know, I mean, so on a you know they can they can 
they can make a story on uh, out of it on on that level. But for for Vogue to 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 co-sign on you is uh, is this it legitimizes you as a, as a as a fashion brand, which is really where we're where we're trying to be. You know, we want we want we, we don't want to, you know we, we feel there's for most people there's no there's no compromise if, if someone wants to um someone wants to buy a socially responsible brand you know you're gonna it's gonna look like tom's you know you know you're gonna love that comment Bernard. That, you know, we, we've had this conversation <laughs> offline and yeah. we can get into it again right now if you want. but here's the thing right the the reality is i think you bring up a good point right if you're looking to to support local business, if you're looking to invest in the community, and if you're looking to uh, really be responsible, you know I think you do have to look beyond the the commercial appeal of what a brand is doing. You have to find the local businesses that are, you know, it, it keeps the money local, it grows the local economy. You're employing people, you're doing the right thing. So there, to me, you know, you the. Tom's and a, and a company like yours are two very different companies. Yeah, um, no, you know. no, no, more, more, but more, 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 on just on an, on an aesthetic level, especially when they started. You know, no one was buying Tom's because they're like, "Wow, that I looks see. so great." Yeah. You know, it, it, you know what I mean? I it was purely because they're like, "These guys are doing a good thing, and I want to be a part of this good thing." You know, but you got to look like a hippie for doing a good thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's the idea that you can. No, you can. It can be fashionable, but you can you can still operate your business responsibly. You know. So you're saying um, you're, you guys are a lot cooler than Tom's, basically. We're so much cooler than Tom's. Come on. That's, uh, that's, that's not even I a have question. to agree with that. <laughs> no, awesome. uh, but yeah, but it's, but it's that it's, it's it's that idea. And I mean, I mean, like, what if you if you, I mean, NZ we feel is like it's like a microcosm of what could be. I mean, that's why the name is saying the potential of Africa's Renaissance or whatever. You know, we're the we're the richest continent in the world when it comes to raw materials. You know, everybody knows this. Everyone's been raping us for 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 years. Uh, no, and the reason we're one one of the reasons we're still struggling is because no one finishes any of these raw materials locally and then sends it out. You know, I love to use a statistic where uh, Africa as a continent we export around two billion dollars worth of coffee a year. You know, coffee is one of the most traded commodities in the world. Germany as a country exports tens of billions of dollars of coffee a year and they don't have a single coffee tree in Germany. You know, wow. all they're doing is taking coffee from all different parts of the world, finishing it, roasting it, packaging it, branding it and selling it at a much bigger margin. Um, it's the same with us with leather, you know, for decades, Ethiopia was exporting the rawest, rawest form of the, of leather to Italy and all these other places. And huge portions of what people were considering was Italian leather was actually coming from Ethiopian hides. So true. You know, and we're just not finishing it here. You know, I mean, it, we should be the best coffee in the world should be coming not from some from Nestle or from wherever it should be packaged, finished. And then we sell it at the retail value from Ethiopia. You know, the you best know what chocolate. The craziest thing is, is mm. the, the best quality Ethiopian coffee. Isn't even available in Ethiopia. It's not even available in Ethiopia. Yeah. It's available yeah, yeah. in the shelves in Whole Foods and, and yeah. other premium, like, you know, like uh, uh, grocery stores all over the world. And even and even then, very few people actually give full-grade high-end Ethiopian coffee. They usually mix it in. Blended coffee means yeah. they're 20% Ethiopian yeah. and mix it in with Vietnamese or Colombian or Brazilian or something. So uh, what you guys are doing is basically getting... You know, work doing the final product all in Ethiopia, 
Yeah, yeah, and bringing the whole value chain to Ethiopia and then selling it, and then it brings more money. You can with that more money, you could pay people better. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's across Africa. The best chocolate in the world should be coming from Switzerland or Belgium. It should be coming from Cote d'Ivoire and from Ghana. Wow, you know. We should, the jewelry shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be finished and done in Switzerland. It should be done in Botswana and South Africa. You know, we have all the gold and all the diamond, you know, all of it's here. You know, I mean, whatever it is, juice. I mean, we're still buying juice from these, <laughs> you know, if you go throughout every juice thing you see in Ethiopia, we can squeeze our own fruits. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's so, I mean, there's, yeah, it's, crazy. this. so crazy. it's just like a microcosm of just what could happen if we could, if, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, People could apply this, you know, do it responsibly. There's plenty of money left over because you're doing it at the source. So what we pay for leather and what you have to pay for Italian leather, even though it's the same quality, is, I mean, they're five, six, seven, sometimes 10, 12 times more than what we pay for leather, you know. And so we can, I mean, like most of the people in our, you know, in the in our market, in this luxury footwear market, are four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars And we can undercut them at $200 and delivering the same handcrafted, beautiful finish you know, quality shoe. So, so there's, there's a business case for it, but it's also, that's what, I mean, when we say ENZI, like the potential of what Africa could be, we hope that this kind of becomes something that, you know, that we can grow it up to a scale where people will be like, no, this will work for me at my, you know, with my maize farm, you know, I'm gonna start mm-hmm. finishing my maize, you know, I'm, tafe, I'm not gonna just grow tafe and then whatever, we're gonna, f- make our own tafe cereal you know the dutch people are trying to jump on our tafe now and they're making chance, you know? so so it's that idea of, of awesome. bringing the value chains back to, to to ethiopia and then that gives you more money to, to 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 pay people better to to invest locally you know to support local businesses stuff like that yeah. right. i have i have one last question for you so do you wear any other shoes now now that you have like a footwear company <laughs> no, do you ever feel weird no, no, like putting no. on somebody else's shoes because no, if no, i had like yeah. a t-shirt company i don't think i would ever go buy a t-shirt from another brand like i, I would always wear my t-shirt well i mean well i mean just because we don't have i mean like when if i'm working out you know what i mean we don't yeah you got running the, shoes yeah you don't yeah you gotta shoes. wear running shoes you know what i mean or um you know if i'm at the beach you know these are these are these are either these are leather shoes but we're we're i mean as soon i mean i wear the heck and when i'm in Addis all day every day i never know <clears throat> never know who i'm gonna meet yeah. and and i also got to do you know i mean there's not there's not much tougher terrain than 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 ethiopia to test out some shoes so i love to to put them through the put them through their paces in Addis. like so i'm i'm confident that we're giving giving a good product to people nice. um would you, guys, yeah. would you guys ever make other products other than footwear? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the kind of uh, operation that we have allows gives us that flexibility. So we're 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 already in the early stages of developing like leather accessories, you know, like little nice. wallets and belts yeah, yeah. and and bags. Um, th- that's easy for us to do. Shoes is the most difficult thing to make. If Absolutely. you can make shoes, it's easy to do the the, the other small things. Um, we've also done a line of T-shirts. From a really, there's a, a factory that we're partnering with. I don't know how many there there are in the world, but it's a 100% carbon neutral factory in the middle of a game park in Kenya. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool story. They actually created the factory as like a source of employment for local people because the local people's, you know, they're they're farmers and they're and they're and they're gatherers, but they're having problems because the wildlife in the game park was either the elephants are coming and eating their corn or mm-hmm. lions lions would eat their goats. So there's a lot of conflict between the animals and these uh, and the locals. So 
these people created this biz, small business. And it's a carbon neutral, you know, solar panel running organic cotton factory that makes wow. amazing t-shirts in the middle of this game park. So like you go for your production, you know, for your production trips, you go there and go spend like safari. the morning. Yeah, yeah, you do. You, go, you spend the morning checking out your shirts and you go, <laughs> in the afternoon you go on a safari and see the animals. So, um, so, so yeah, we did a, we, we've done a line of t-shirts with them and we're really happy. We're going to continue to work with them. It's hundred, the best organic cotton in the world is another thing we need to bring the whole value chain back to, 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 to Africa for the best organic cotton in the world comes from East Africa, mostly Tanzania and Uganda. Yeah. So, so they use exclusively that cotton. So it's, it's really, really cool stuff. That's on our website as well. That's awesome. So how do people get a hold of you? Where can they buy your product? Yeah. And, yeah. So and we're, even personally, how can they reach you? Yeah, you can email me uh, at azaria at nzfootwear.com, A-Z-A-R-I-A-H at E-N-Z-I footwear.com. How did you say Z first and then you said Z second? That's great. Yeah, that, that's what you get for living in London for three years. <laughs> it's both the American and the English side. When I said, when I, yeah, no, when I, wait, I said Z on my name, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because and then I'm you so, said Z on NZ. See, because when I was working in London, I had to recite my uh, recite my name, my my email to people. You'd say Z, and everyone thought I was saying C. Yeah. Like no, A Z A in A C, Acaria. Acaria. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, so yeah, I got I got used to saying Z when I saw my that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what about the website? And where can can people find their product at certain retail stores? Uh, we have we have some lined up in the states. Uh, we're going to be in a, there's a big hype store in Berlin. Uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Munich that we're going to be in, and a, potentially another one. So the markets we're kind of focusing on is we want to have a a stock in the states to handle most of our online st online retailing, which will be done in the U.S. We have a couple stores in Germany and a couple in Hong Kong that we're focusing on initially. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean I mean we're a small budding brand, but you can go to nzfootwear.com. We have a email on there as well. Um, T-shirts and and shoes available there. Uh, extremely comfortable. Tell them, Bemnet. Extremely comfortable. Yeah, and if you're if you're single, <laughs> this is your solution. Hey man, it's been it's been a pleasure. Very informative and uh, fun talking to you. We <laughs> wish you the best of success and looking forward to seeing NZ grow. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening to my rambling. And, uh, and Bemneth will be in touch. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you soon. Take care. To find out more about my guest and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit www.ethiospodcast.com.